are we collectively getting used to glitchy watching? Well, hot take. I don't think that anybody complains about audio or glitches or whatnot as much as people in the business do. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lainey. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com, a talk show host in Canada and an entertainment reporter, and I guess a budding chef. I am Duanna Taha. I am a television writer and producer, uh, and I've adopted as my quarantine wardrobe the boiler suit, popularized by Winston Churchill. All work right now seems to be COVID-19 modified work processes, so today on the show, we talk about Zoom life, writer life, and all life now, work life that's been affected in some way by the pandemic. Are you consuming media differently now that it's being produced differently, i.e. in your favorite broadcaster's basements? Let us know. Also, are you now a teacher? How's that going for you? Let me tell you all about it. (laughs) Plus, we will talk about Chris Evans. He has a new project on the go that seems very important to him anyway. We'll discuss whether or not it can work. We also find ways to connect Taylor Swift and Beyonce to Chris Evans. And finally, let's see if you can do this intro without giggling. (laughs) No. Impossible. The Cuomo brothers. Is it a bit or is it that they just can't stand each other? All the important details. Welcome to Show Your Work. in a half-hour car lineup today at the drive-thru Starbucks. Uh, Like, you know where the Starbucks is at the Leslie. I came down Leslie and tried to turn left in there. No, no, there was a lineup of cars so large, I had to go around and turn right from Lakeshore to wait my turn for 25 minutes. I was just telling you about people being out and, like, it being busy. Yes. Yeah, I still think I've had a few occasions where I had to over manually override my assumptions about parking because, uh, yeah, people are not all out at the same time. But I feel like they are. I feel like, I don't know. I, but listen, I'm not going to complain. I have no more energy. Well, but then, but the pressing problem is still, what are you going to have for dinner then? Oh, right. So I was, I'm going to switch um, the... Saturday and Sunday menu plan. And so tomorrow I was planning to make sweet and sour shrimp over rice. And so tonight I will make sweet and sour shrimp over rice. And tomorrow I'll have salmon with the side of asparagus and spring peas. I am a gourmet chef now. I have cooked. I'm <laughs> I'm still not used to it. It makes me crazy um, that you cook this much. It's kind of amazing. I cook every day. Every day do. there is something new. And now my like new stress is that I'm going to run out of, I'm already starting to get bored of food. (laughs) Like there's nothing I want to eat. I know. I understand that. I mean, here's, can I give you like a challenge? Okay. Can you figure out how to make a, like a proper super seared steak like you and I would enjoy, but in a house with you know, not setting off all the alarms and whatnot. I'll think about that. After I accomplish my next task, culinary mm-hmm. task, which is I am going to attempt to, uh, to make pizza dough. I'm going to make a pizza from scratch next week. I feel like a pizza <laughs> dough is pretty, is pretty achievable. I feel like that's okay. Oh, okay. Um, but, but yes. All I, yeah. This is what I, I've been doing. <laughs> I understand. I'm kind of craving a steak. 
I'm also actually at the behest of Maria on, on our site, on Laney Gossip, uh, I'm rewatching The Comeback, uh, which is yeah. so amazing. But uh, one of the things about Valerie Cherish, who's Lisa Kudrow, that I really admire, that frankly I used to admire in you, is her commitment to daily ordering in dinner. Um, oh, and so- that was the life, man. I lived it. I know you did. I was so admiring. But uh, one day she's like, oh, let's just order steaks. And I was like, is that actually a myth? Is there a steak that could you could order that could arrive at your door mm, delicious? You're right. I don't know that steak is um, uber eatable. Even when you order a steak in a hotel, like if you order it in the restaurant and it comes out to your table and it's still sizzling, that's great, right? But you know when you order a steak up to a room? Yeah, and it's been in the <laughs> elevator. It's always a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it rides the elevator. That's when you're, <laughs> That's when you're like, no. Um, a burger in a hotel, though. A, a room service burger is, to me, always satisfying. Um, yeah, I don't think I have... I've ever had a bad room service burger. Well, and maybe somebody who makes burgers would tell, like, probably a burger is actually supposed to, you know, they talk about resting meat, right? Like, it's supposed to sit for a minute or yeah. something. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, I know the idea for a home steak is like cast iron pan and maybe finish it in the oven and all those things, but there's also a high possibility of setting off the smoke alarm or, uh, you know, like I've almost gotten divorced over, uh, oil spatter that gets on the floor, you know, that Uh thing. Oh yeah. So I, I don't know if it's actually achievable in a living at home context, but I'd like to find out. Is this who we are now? <laughs> Look, not by choice. <laughs> there are a whole lot of descriptors for me, and I assume for all of us, that are not by choice. I'm now a grade one teacher, not by choice. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Talk um, about show your work at home edition. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a homebody. I'm a, what else am I? I don't know. Yeah, none of these things are, are I'm probably going to start gardening. You talking about being a grade one teacher reminds me of the video that you sent to all of us, or was it our friend Lo, who, um, of that Israeli mother who's recording herself in the car and she's fucking raging about having to homeschool. Um, (laughs) And first of all, she's hilarious. Like her sarcasm and her attitude is amazing. It went viral. I think you sent the New York Times follow up on her, right? Yeah, New York Times did a follow-up on her. Yeah, she did the rant about distance learning uh, because of her four children. I was speaking to my cousin in the Netherlands, who has four children, and he was like, oh, yeah, we've seen that here, that video as well. I think it was translated into something like 20 languages. (laughs) Oh, my God, I love her. It's also, listen, it was also a performance, right? Because she just had a way of, like, emphasizing the right parts, and uh, I love her so much. And, uh, you know, hats off to you, Duanna, and all the other parents out there who have added teaching to your long list of (laughs) working duties now. Good Lord. But, I mean, maybe it's all going to turn out all right, because in that New York Times follow-up article, the best part is that she has since been asked to, like, record commercials uh, for an Israeli <laughs> telecommunications company. Like she did it from home, but like that's a new sort of career twist, I guess. Um, with that in mind, shall we? Let's show some people's work. Okay, let's start with your work, kind of. Um, lots of uh, Lots of reporting has been done on writer's rooms now that everybody is... Uh, self-isolating, but scripting or planning for shows and series is still going on virtually, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, depending on where the production schedules are for various shows, uh, when the self-isolation rules came down, there was still a lot of writers' rooms were still contracted to be operational. Absolutely. So have you, well, what what are people doing now then? Is it just Zoom like everybody else? I think it is. And it's it's wild because I guess that means that it has come a lot closer to 
what a lot of people are doing who are not in writers' rooms. Obviously, no production can be happening. You can't be a key grip uh, via Zoom. Uh, you can't be, you know, you can't do lighting via Zoom. But yeah, in a writing room, when you are supposed to be talking all day, every day, it's basically a nine-hour podcast, um, then sitting in your own chair at home is in theory, not that different to sitting in your chair in the writing room. Uh, that said, like everything, there are so many nuances that might be lost that I'm really curious about how it's going. Okay. Yeah. So what could be lost? I mean, obviously you make do with what you have now, so it's impossible for writers to be breaking story in, um, a writer's room now, but what, yeah, what does get lost and then potentially um, how will it show itself in the story on screen? Well, you know, um, one of the things, every room is different, every writing room is different, but one of the things about writing rooms is that there's always understood to be a lot of uh, off-topic discussion that you can go down a rabbit hole that seems like you're talking about your date last night or about what you're making for dinner, and then sometimes you get somewhere for a show. Um, and I feel like that comes because people use the writing room like a place that they live. You know, they make dinner reservations while they're talking, or they are online buying clothes or that kind of thing. I think that a Zoom setup almost forces somebody asked me recently if I didn't think that a zoom setup would actually make people focus more in the room and I guess it will and can because you have to be watching all those faces we've all seen the grids or live the grids in front of us of everybody you're working with you're sort of watching people for reaction and so forth but I do wonder whether uh shows will have to work harder to add back in the authenticity of oh I was just interrupted by uh a FaceTime call or, uh, God, I forget what even happens in real life now that we're all isolated <laughs> this way. Um, so have you had a virtual writing session yet or a uh, breaking story session? Not with a number of people. I've done it one-on-one, -on -one, uh, with other writer friends and exchange notes and things like that. I have not done it in a larger group that's on the books for uh, a couple of weeks from now. Uh, but I've been talking to several people who have been doing it. And uh, I think for the most part, it's going okay. Uh, Gloria Calderon-Kellett, who is the showrunner of One Day at a Time, has been really, really vocal about how their writing room is doing. Uh, and I think that they find, especially given that that's a sitcom format, so it's a lot of pitching jokes and things like that, that it's going fairly well. Uh, other shows that are more dramatic uh, are finishing up season arcs. So in theory, they have some runway or, or what's the opposite of runway? Like a downhill sort of momentum that they're just finishing things up. So in theory, that's okay as well. What's lost, obviously, is you can't walk to the set and walk around it to get a feel for how you might want to write your scene. You can't uh, get blocked and decide to take a walk together and see if that changes something up. You know, it's but that's common to all workplaces. Uh, how we'll see it in the script, though, is the most interesting question. Uh, also, because everybody's writing, never knowing when we'll be able to get back to shooting again and never knowing what it will look like. Yeah. And do you find, too, that um, – because as you said earlier, this isn't just writers. Uh, everybody is kind of on Zoom or some kind of conference chat app. Um, do you find that now everybody is spending more time meeting? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, I... there's so many meetings. Well, I think, uh, you know, I think, first of all, people crave – human contact. So yeah. that's part of it. Right. Um, and secondly, I guess, uh, I, yeah, I, I suppose there have been systems that change so that you say less often, let me just put my head down and get my stuff done. Or maybe not. I don't know. But, uh, 
what do you find is different about the meetings that you're now having? Because you, uh, I think we should say, uh, you know, we had an email uh, from somebody a couple of days ago asking us to talk about the the crews who were out of work, the below the line types who uh, cannot, as we said, set up shots or do lighting or anything like that. Uh, in your case, as an on-air person, you are essentially setting up your own shots yourself from home. My living room has become a home studio. Right. Um, Yasik has become my DP. And producer and probably whatever else. Correct. And uh, we are flying blind a lot of the time. So a lot of the time we are doing a test shot, sending it to a Dropbox, waiting for the approval after they download it on the other side from the Dropbox to see what the shot looks like. Or, you know, you text it. But um, And then when they say, okay, that looks pretty good, we're recording it on like one way. It's not a two-way exchange, right? Like nobody can see it on the other side. You just have to record it, do it like three or four times to give them three or four versions of what you might be saying. This is in particular, I'm talking about eTalk, which is an entertainment talk show or entertainment news show here in Canada where we package celebrity stories and then um, edit it with B-roll and footage of celebrities during the script that I might be saying. Anyway, so I'm sending it one way back to them. And at that point, you have to cross your fingers and hope that you have the shot lined up the way that they need it to be lined up, like with dimensions mm-hmm. and the sound works. And then they're going to deal with it in editing. So yeah, my my living room has become a home studio. There's lighting. They've sent me over microphones and stands and all of that. Yasik has added, he also has added new jobs to his responsibilities. And in terms of Zoom or in terms of um, meetings, the meetings then become like much, has have become much more technical. Some of our meetings actually are about all the things I just talked about, like how's your audio and your lighting and we need you to shoot it in this resolution. I mean, I'm barely paying attention to those technical details because Yasik has to be on those calls. And, uh, you know, all of this in your case and in many of these cases is to go on broadcast television, right? Uh, that's why all these setups are happening. In fact, uh, as we record this, it's Saturday. Tomorrow night, there will be a uh, benefit concert uh, to raise money, I guess, and awareness, uh, for supplies for, you know, uh, medical workers, uh, who are helping fight COVID-19. Uh, and it's going to be Elton John and Mariah Carey and Billie Eilish and others. And back- all brought- Well, and Backstreet Boys. So are they all self-isolating together? I, I don't well, get it. Well, that's an amazing question. So, uh, first of all, they're all going to be broadcasting from their own living rooms, right? Correct. Like, I really am entertained by the idea of Elton John setting up his own shot. (laughs) Yes. When I sent this to you, I was like, I think we're going to have to watch this because, and your response back was, ha, 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 ha. And I feel like that's the response of someone who's worked in broadcasting, right? Like, you know what goes into setting up a shot, and you also know celebrities, a lot of them are other people do those things for them, put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. As, you know, as they should, right? Like it's it's good for people to understand that you cannot just do it all yourself. You can't just be everything. Um, all that said, uh, the Backstreet Boys, yeah, are they all self-isolating? Are they going to harmonize from home? <laughs> No, and what's like, I mean, this is all over satellite, right? Like, listen, if this is live the way they're promising instead of pre-tape, which I feel like there's going to be significant pre-tape in here, don't you? I, I, yeah, I assume so. And that makes sense so that, you know, at least you can get one thing in the bag before you throw to a Mariah, to a this person, to a that person. That's right. But, but if there are live elements, I'm really curious about the delays. Yeah, I think that's sort of the bigger question in all of this, right? What are the writers writing? How will it be shot someday, some way? 
how will live TV work in an age of, uh, of not really being live and not really throwing to all these different people and yeah, dealing with those tiny gaps in Zoom or FaceTime or whatever it is. Uh, you know, all of those questions exist and how is it going to change broadcasting going forward? You know, a meme that's been going around, maybe it's not a meme, it's not organized enough to be a meme, but uh, that concept of people obviously gorging on entertainment right now and commenting on how already all the scenes of people cuddling together on a couch or all the kissing or touching or whatnot seems very, uh, it seems very risque almost now, right? Like they're violating social norms. They may as well be picking their noses. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I I think too though. I I um in terms of audience habit and audience conditioning, mm-hmm. I for the talk shows and the new shows that have gone to, you know, like The View for example, a couple of hosts are on Skype or on FaceTime, a couple are in studio and like uh, I think Ryan and Kelly are both Skyping in um mm-hmm. for their show. It's given like it's been a few days or at least a week. And so over time, does the audience get used to, you know, the sound delays, right? Or the glitches? And does it make for a more um, generous audience where they're not complaining about, oh, I, you know, I can't hear this audio so bad and it, it's blurry. Like at, at right now is a time for understanding across the board. And although this is not a high priority of what you should be patient with and understand. As an audience member at home, are we collectively getting used to glitchy watching? Well, hot take. I don't think that anybody complains about audio or glitches or whatnot as much as people in the business do. It, it, you, There are people in the business, uh, and we can be some of them sometimes, who cannot be satisfied. The same way that I complain about, I cannot believe they use that clunky line of dialogue. Often people who are complaining about like, I don't know, it sounds a little tinny or the resolution is not perfect. I'm like, "Mm, you have insider knowledge here. I like Uh, your take, except that we've received emails from a couple of people about this podcast and the sound quality and uh, they are like, I can't listen to it. Bye. Yeah, but that's a couple of people. Uh, and yes, I hope they are. I, I don't know if I hope they're here to hear us talk about them or not, but uh, I think the vast majority are sort of going, yeah, it, it is what it is for right now. Everybody knows that everybody's doing their best. So uh, yeah, on the one hand, uh, everybody's adapting to a new way, but on the other hand, let's Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see whether it satisfies people or whether we're going to move to a model of all solo, all Instagram living, uh, because that's a more attractive, you know, broadcast entertaining option than a facsimile of what, you know, your favorite shows used to have. We'll see. Just to go back though, to the real life application outside the industry, entertainment industry and across all industries, when we're talking about Zoom and how everybody's having virtual meetings and working from home during isolation, uh, what I have heard from a lot of people is that, and this is also true of my experience, is that the work hours have been extended. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's, again, I don't know if that's because everybody's spending so much time talking that actual work talking or actual work doing takes longer or whether it's because people want the the company or yeah, is there that idea of, listen, I'm going to have to get up to feed the dog to, you know, get a package from the front door or whatever. So all those mini interruptions add up to not finishing a work day. I don't know. I think we are all working too long as it is. Like in many cases, uh, again, excluding the essential workers who are taking care of us so, so well right now. It's in a lot of cases, it's like, uh, aren't we, shouldn't we all just be doing what we need to get done and not being trying to be amazing superheroes in a time of 
why exactly are we are we going crazy on this so much? Well, and also, I mean, the invisible gaps of the day for a lot of parents who are like, okay, when I'm at work, I actually have eight hours where I'm just working. I'm not taking 90 minutes here to feed the dog or to get the children set up with their lessons or walk them around the block so they're not like jumping off the walls or whatever. And so that is also, I'm hearing from a lot of parents, what's extending the workday where, you know, from, I don't know, let's call it 11 to 2, after they get off the Zoom call for three hours, they they then have to go back to their kids and entertain them. Because the kids don't understand why, if you're here, why can we not be spending time together? Why can I not come over and ask a question? Uh, I do have a friend who is on a very big meeting of 20 plus people with a lot of important types. You know, it was the big call and they shifted it all to Zoom. Uh, when her child sauntered in uh, with no preamble and was like, I lost a tooth. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, the, the kid thought that, uh, that my friend was just, uh, like, talking to their friends. Like, why shouldn't they just storm in and say, hey, lost a tooth, you know? Yeah. It's, it's hard for them to understand why this is the same but different. So, yeah, everybody's got to adapt. But, uh, yeah, having a, having a coworker, quote unquote, under the age of, of 10 is, is a special kind of challenge. <laughs> so let us know about your work from home stories, uh, whether or not your days have been extended, how your Zoom meetings are going, what your hacks are. Um, and yeah, share with us how you're uh, showing your work actually right now in a different way. I would also be interested if anybody knows uh, or is interested in supplying the oral history of Zoom of how they monstered out of nowhere to become the dominant. uh, I have said and engaged with Zoom more in the last 10 days than in my I don't think I knew it existed before then. So that's a wild, unlikely success story. Congratulations, Zoom and house party. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As I like to say, Zoom by day, house party by night. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Um, Next, Chris Evans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, yeah, Chris Evans, he's a guy. We like him for sure. Chris Evans, Captain America, no longer has, uh, how do you say it? Hung up the shield? Whatever. I passed. I, okay, nerds, whatever you want to say. About Wait, Chris Evans. Uh, what? Huh? What? What? What is the, why are you being careful about nerds? What's the story here? Oh, they, they get, we all get particular, but just like broadcast or in the industry, people get particular about tinny sounds or audio or whatever. Nerds get particular about their terminology when you're talking about their superheroes. So sorry. What is the, okay, he's done. Is that what we're getting at? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's done. Spoiler for Endgame, which ha- like came out, what, a year ago? Um, I'm, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I think that is actually the one thing I'm going to take away from our period of isolation. Spoiler babies, I, I no longer have any sympathy. Yeah. Too bad. Watch it or get off the pot. Anyway. Anyway. So he's done that role is your point. He's, he's- not done acting. Oh, no, 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 no. He's not. But you pitched a story about him. I did. uh, Because I have said before on this podcast that it is seeming to become impossible to talk about. It's impossible to talk about entertainment and Hollywood without talking about COVID-19. And it seems to be increasingly impossible to talk about COVID-19 without talking about politics. And so I was really surprised that Chris Evans has uh, is launching a new website that is uh, meant to be bipartisan, straight-ahead interviews with uh, you know with lawmakers and uh, leading politicians. 
so that people can, I guess, make informed, educated decisions. Like he's sort of alleging, pledging that he and his website will be uh, the unbiased source, right? That if every other news agency is considered to lean one way or the other, that this is meant to be right in the middle. So a celebrity, a movie star. A movie star, for sure. A movie star saying, hey, if you don't trust the news organizations that are presenting one side or the other, come to me and I will present all the sides. Right. Um, Okay, so yes, that was a really good way of pointing it out. So let's start with, um, is this possible? I feel like there have been many, many news agencies who have said, we're the unbiased truth. We're just going to get you the straightforward, whatever. Is this a thing? Can this be done? By, just your gut. By a movie star or by anybody? By anyone. Uh, I don't know because I feel like even my answer would be construed by some to be a biased one. Which is? Which is, yeah, I think he could do it, but... I then, you know, uh, listen, he has openly on Twitter shut down the likes of David Duke. He has criticized the president of the United States, um, the 45th one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Number 45, as, uh, as Cardi B is calling him. Yeah. yeah. Um, he has criticized number 45 on Twitter. So it's clear that he disagrees at the very least, with this administration's handling of many, if not all, things, which is in line with my opinion. Sure. So my opinion of him is, in this respect, quite positive. But again, it's because, as he refers to in his promotion for this, um, he's in my bubble. Right. And his point is, is that he wants to remove bubbling and have all the barriers taken down for everybody to see both sides. Well, and the site is called a starting point. And so the way it works is that it is meant to have uh, any given politician uh, has a brief video where you can hear their stance on a policy, right? Yeah. So that if they're in debates and they're sort of talking around in circles that that's hard to understand where they stand. But if you're like, oh, should I vote for this person or this one in my riding, in my region, you can click and go, okay, what do they think about immigration? What do they think about, I don't know, like uh, tariffs or whatever. Yeah. And hear them tell you in plain language. That's the goal of the site. Right. Without any follow-up. Uh, yeah, I think it's... it's uh, I. You know, it's unclear on, I don't think it's, it's not an interview show per se, right? It's, it's meant to be a platform. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be about untangling arcane issues in plain language. That's the real goal here. Uh, and, you know, he goes ahead and says, uh, I started this project. I realized I had incredible moral and cultural blind spots. So he's trying to eradicate that. There's that awareness of that. Um, whether or not we think it will ultimately be a useful product, a useful site, I guess is that's question one that is to be seen. Let's, let's see if we, if we think it's productive and if we think it's unbiased. The other question that I think is to me, the thornier, naughtier question is, is this the role of, as you say, uh, you know, a Hollywood movie star of Captain America. And I have arguments on both sides. Oh, wow. That's a big one, right? Because the first thing, the first thing that a movie star would say is, I'm also a citizen. I have a right. I don't just, I don't, I don't, just like for us, you're, you are a writer of a creative unscripted content, or sorry, you are a writer of creative scripted content, but that that is not the only thing you are. Of course not. No, absolutely. Um, and given that he has a platform, movie stars have platforms, they should be able to stand for things 
or at least do things that are more than what we think they should be. Well, and I would go one step further and ask rhetorically, do they have a responsibility to use those platforms? Some people in the public eye think that they do, think that the uh, sort of the balance of the sometimes exorbitant amounts of money that they're given and the privilege that they have is to be able to uh, advocate for people who don't have in as vocal a manner as they are able to. Yeah. So, you know, there's an argument that this is Chris Evans doing his uh, moral civic duty. And we talked about this when we talked about Taylor Swift and in the past she was apolitical. And right. as we've seen over the last couple of years, she has become more and more comfortable using her platform to support the causes and the people um, and the values that she believes in. And we were supportive of that. And to your point, uh, you know, it wasn't that Taylor Swift decided, oh, this is something I'm going to take on. Uh, it was more that she said, I'm no longer willing to be neutral. She already had political opinions of her own, right? Mm -hmm. It was that she was no longer willing to be silent about them. Right. So, um, yeah, fair enough. The other side of the argument, I suppose, is that, as you say, Chris Evans's, uh, Chris Evans's uh, politics themselves are not... Uh, they're not invisible. We know what they are, that maybe people might be influenced to go his way or vote in a way that is more liberal or more whatever, because he has this position. You know, I don't know who is the most, uh, the most uh, media friendly, uh, right leaning Republican that people admire. But you know, if, if somebody acquired this same idea on what you and I, I think, uh, to no, to nobody's surprise would see as the other side. Uh, um, would that be seen as dangerous because they're leading people the other way? I think there's a lot of similarity, um, on the surface between Taylor Swift and Chris Evans, you know, Taylor Swift, given her Nashville roots, um, given, much of her fan base being who they are, all those accusations that, you know, she was apolitical earlier yep. because um, her Republicans liked her yep. and she didn't want to lose that. And the equivalent or the closest equivalent, the comparison I'm trying to make here with Chris Evans is that whole comic book crowd. Um, you know, there is a segment of it that is largely white and male. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, and they, you know, that movement has has risen in ways that are quite um opposite of of the values that Chris Evans himself seems to stand up for. You know, it's Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Largely misogynistic. Yep. Um largely uh largely misogynistic largely, let's call it, um, <laughs> white. Well, you're being very gentle, but I think, uh, yeah, it's that uh, obviously not all comic book fans, uh, you know, not all, uh, fantasy fans, but there is a segment of, uh, the really, the less attractive, uh, incel celebrating, uh, mega hat wearing people who also identify as being part of certain fandoms. That's right. Right. So um, for him, and, and he's made it very clear in the past, his values and his stance on equal rights and on women's rights and on LGBTQ plus rights. Um, his brother is gay. He has always aspired. You'll like this, Duanna. Like his first love isn't actually comic books and superhero movies, but he fucking loves musicals. And, oh, oh. <laughs> and he's going to be in one. I think he's doing Little Shop of Horrors. Um, oh, my God. How kitschy. Okay, go on. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, he's about as <laughs> – like, the true Chris Evans is apparently, like, pretty Broadway. You know, jazz deep hands and all. Yeah. What you're, what you're saying to me is he's deep dork <laughs> and he owns it. And I love that. That's right. Um, however, 
you know, the generally accepted public image of Chris Evans is, right, Steve Rogers. Uh, yeah, or even if you've never seen a Marvel movie in your life, he's a super hot, beefcakey Hollywood actor, right? And Boston dude, you know, that kind of, you know what I'm getting at, right? There's a certain stereotype of, of, of Mark Wahlberg and um, that kind of, that kind of coming from that kind of area thing. Delightfully rough around the edges is what, is what you're trying That's to right. say. Yes. Yes. So okay. I think to go back to Taylor and Chris Evans and that comparison, um, there, you might say, some might say that he would be a good candidate to reach out to the people who are obstinate and need to come on board with social change in order to actually affect it. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So what you're saying is that his responsibility, if any, is actually to sway the minds of people who aren't converted rather than preaching to his bubble. I, I wonder if that might be a way of looking at it. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if I can say either way, if, if I have optimism about it, but I wonder if that's going to be an advantage. You know, I'm not mad at that take at all, but it leaves me with a final question. Um, It seems like, you know, every time we talk about somebody, and obviously we have our own biases as well, but we say, oh, they, you know, they're really into this movement or was one of the people who was instrumental in organizing Time's Up or has really strong political views or whatever. There doesn't yet seem to be a pushback against people who don't speak out about something, who don't yet have values. I, this week on the site, was writing about how much I loved Cardi B's no-nonsense discussion of, uh, you know, the inequality of how people are treated for, uh, treated when they're diagnosed with COVID-19 and why celebrities appear to be getting special treatment. Uh, So I guess, is this now not only the new normal, but the requirement? Are, is there going to be any chastising for people who don't use their platform? Because we haven't seen it yet, and I'm kind of wondering when it's coming. I wonder, and also this is something that's been on my mind, does this relate in some way to celebrities and donations right now? So, well, that's really interesting, yeah. Right? Uh, uh, many of them have chosen to publicize their donations let people uh-huh. know that this is the way they're helping. And it's great, right? They're putting their money where their mouths are. So uh-huh. Rihanna, for example, we know $5 million through her foundation. And also she donated, I think, medical supplies to New York. Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively, a million dollars. Angelina Jolie, a million dollars. So many celebrities. Um, and then there are those who are doing it probably quietly, um, who haven't made headlines for their gifts and contributions, but I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt. Taylor Swift has also made a donation. I should mention that. Um, so, but there are those who have, we haven't heard from them. And I wonder, I wonder why. Well, I think it's because this is a different game, right? When we talk about any other, uh, you know, sort of worldwide awareness of a disaster. If there is a hurricane or a tsunami or something, then knowing that my favorite celebrity has donated and that maybe they're answering the phones at the telethon or whatever it is, is meant to spur, is meant to spur me to donate as well, right? And with the understanding that their million dollars and my $50 or whatever it is that I can donate, that every little bit helps. True? Yep. But the argument against uh, publicizing celebrity donations uh, for COVID-19, which I appreciate, is that in lots of cases, people do not have jobs right now. They are without the ability to donate. It is not the same thing. And you can't be asking people for the same kinds of engagements when they are at least people who no longer have the financial ability to do so and at most are liable to become the people who need the donations and support in the first place, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So I think it's a different game as a result. And if I were a celebrity publicist, I don't think I would be the one wanting to emphasize my my clients' donations uh, because, yeah, you should be donating. No, you don't need to, uh, you know, there are times when doing something publicly spurs other people to do the same thing, but there's also times when you should just do it because you can without trying to influence a movement because uh, people can't behave the same way as you and we, and God knows we should acknowledge that right now. And you know who I'm thinking about with this? It's It's Beyonce. Beyonce has been very quiet. Extremely um, quiet. As of today, our recording uh, is Saturday, March 28th. So um, it, it's been, what, three weeks? Now, yep. Beyonce goes quiet and underground all the time. Mm-hmm. She has, though, been known to make announcements when she wants to highlight a cause or when she's thinking about uh, those who are, are suffering we haven't heard anything from Beyonce, but we also know that Beyonce is very philanthropic. So there's no doubt in my mind that Beyonce is doing and has done something or is thinking about doing something. We're just not hearing about it. And I remember a, a couple of years ago, she and Jay-Z had uh, very quietly been um, supporting Black Lives Matter, the movement, and making donations to help people with legal funds who had been um, arrested without cause, who were protesting um, all of the, um, you know, the police brutality incidents across America and who were arrested for their civil disobedience. And it was Dream Hampton who actually revealed this, but much later, she, Dream Hampton is, was quite active with BLM and she was like, listen, you know, Beyonce and Jay-Z went about very quietly financially supporting and leveraging their leveraging their resources to back the movement. It's just that it wasn't making headlines. So I know that there is precedent for Beyonce to be doing things. It's just that she's not letting us see it. Well, and I wonder what uh, the advantage would be to letting us see it. You know, again, Beyonce knows better than many people that uh, everybody tries to follow in her footsteps in all the ways. But, uh, you know, donating millions to struggling or overloaded hospitals, for example, is not something that people can do, is not something that you want people to do if the goal is to get them to stay in their homes. So I can see where not only are they probably being very uh, judicious about how they help or where they help, they obviously have real hometown loyalties to a few places. So I can see uh, you know, that money being very specifically, uh, allocated, but also that they might be a distraction in this situation more than many, you know, uh, even Rihanna, who of course has massive, massive, uh, fan armies and that kind of thing doesn't, uh, she seems to be able to move about the world in a way that Beyonce and Jay-Z cannot without attracting notice, you know? So I think it's also about if you are somebody super famous at this time, going, uh, what is going to help without unnecessarily creating mayhem where we really don't need mayhem right now. And as this gets longer, it's going to be interesting to see which celebrities are sort of making their, making their philanthropic work visible and which aren't. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and whether we feel differently, if it is about something that is, that we see as positive versus not. Um, for example, you know, there are, uh, obviously there are governors of individual U.S. states right now who are uh, running afoul of number 45 and allegedly suffering uh, consequences as a result, right? So if I'm a celebrity who's from that state, for example, then I might be more inclined to support that governor. But that's a big move. If I'm, you know, from Michigan and I make arrangements for Michigan to get all sorts of, uh, of ventilators somehow, uh, that's a real public stance that then you become kind of a lightning rod for what's going on. So is that better or worse than somebody who donates to the Red Cross or who goes and donates blood because that's a real bipartisan way to help people go donate blood if you're able 
not everybody can, but the blood needs are consistent and going to be rising. They're at a high. Donate blood if you can. And yeah, shout out again to everybody on the front lines, the healthcare workers, the scientists, the researchers who are, I mean, those are the heroes. Uh, And just to pat Hollywood on the back one more time, I want to shout out whoever had the brilliant idea. Uh, There are a few Canadian shows, uh, Coroner and Transplant come to mind, but I'm sure there are U.S. shows as well, who, because they're set in medical environments, have lots of prop uh, masks and uh, PPE materials and so forth on hand that are donating those to the frontline workers. So I, whoever thought of that uh, to actually be like, oh yeah, we don't need all these things in a, sitting in a warehouse. Uh, I wink at you. I think Grey's Anatomy, you named the Canadian shows and I'm, I'm pretty sure Grey's Anatomy did the same. I, I'm sure. I yeah. mean, when has Grey's Anatomy not been the leader on that front? Yeah. So well done for them. And finally, a work story that you sent me that I... I rewatched and rewatched. It was hysterical. It hit so many of like my favorite buttons. Um, and it would have been the moment on CNN between brothers, Chris Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo. So uh, for people who don't watch or who are Canadian, Chris Cuomo is the broadcaster, has a show, what is it, weekly, nightly on CNN? I think it's nightly. Right. Andrew Cuomo, of course, is the governor of New York. And so it's entirely newsworthy. Like, it makes sense that periodically Andrew Cuomo would go on the Chris Cuomo show. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) To talk about the issues of the day. You can't even get through this. I can't. It makes sense. It's not a gimmick on its surface. Right? And it's not funny. What is not funny is that New York's cases of COVID-19 are the highest currently in America. Yeah, it's no, it's a dire situation. Um, but that's why, I mean, it is authentic that uh, yes. Governor Cuomo would be going on news programs to discuss this. And including his brother, Presenter Cuomo's news program. Right. So- and the only, yeah. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. The only other thing I want to say is that I think I'm not a New Yorker. I think by many New Yorkers' accounts, uh, Governor Cuomo is doing a good job. They appreciate the way he's handling Mm -hmm. uh, the COVID-19 crisis, right? Maybe not all, but many appreciate his role and what he's doing. That's right. So, yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) So it would be, as you said, totally... Totally normal for the governor to end up on a new show to talk about the experience of his constituents. Um, And if that broadcaster happens to be his brother, so be it. So as is normal, if you're a broadcaster and you have a guest join you, wherever it may be, in studio or via satellite, you welcome your guest and you say thanks for your time, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. That's, that's, That's manners. Right. But when it's your brother, uh, uh-huh. when it's your brother, sometimes <laughs> the response isn't, thank you for having me. It's, well, <laughs> mom told me I had to. <laughs> All right. I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue this podcast. Uh, if you have not seen the clips, they are well, well worth looking up. Um, so <laughs> all right there, I really want to play with you. What do you think this scenario is? Either the Cuomo brothers. So th- uh, he's actually appeared on the show, I think a few times in, in the recent weeks. Right. So either these two have a dynamic that cannot be contained, no matter whether they are broadcasting to the entire world or not. That's yeah. option A, right? They're snarking at each other. Uh, they're talking about who's the favorite kid. Yeah. Neither of them think that they are the favorite, by the way. Right. Um, they're arguing about what happened when they were kids. Yeah. That's option A. They just can't contain themselves, right? Yeah. Option B is that they are doing a bit and that somehow in the middle of 
the worst pandemic <laughs> in our memory. <laughs> right. They were like, uh, let's do a bit. And that's why I brought up that New Yorkers think that Cuomo is doing a good job because obviously whatever bit he is doing is okay with them if it is fictional. I I don't know, but the re- and and, and I sh- we we haven't really like fully described it. I mean, we'll attach this to the the show notes if if you watch if you get the podcast with the show notes. But he says, "Well, mom told me to," and then Chris rolls his eyes <laughs> on camera. Yeah, so, look, yeah, <laughs> they're bickering. But again, they they've done it several times. It wasn't just this one off experience. They're bickering on camera. That's right. So to your point, is this a bit because it seems to be like a recurring sketch the way that, you know, recurring sketches happen on SNL? Is there is this their version of like Stefan or, right. you know, whatever that sketch, what is it, the Californians? Um, so is, Yeah, or I always like, uh, you know, the girl you wish you hadn't started talking to at a party. There right? you is go. This a thing? Drunk uncle, right? Right. So is this a recurring sketch by the Cuomo brothers on CNN during a global pandemic <laughs> COVID-19 edition like is that which makes it a weird choice yeah weird flex as the kids say yeah right yeah or or do they just have that kind of chemistry where they like siblings many siblings can't stand each other can't stop ribbing each other even when they're on live television during a conversation about COVID-19 and a pandemic during a global pandemic they can't help themselves and they have to get a punch in and look this is not like again this is not happening on on the talk or uh or I don't know this is not happening on Jimmy Fallon this is happening at a time when they're supposed to be informing the nation yes. about literal life and death issues. Opening with mom told me I had to. I'm I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your read? We just want to throw that out there. Is it that this is how these brothers, like, I mean, they, in their DNA, they're incapable of not throwing a shot at each other before they get to business? Or... Is this a bit? And either way, I mean, it just tells us some really incredible things about the Cuomo brothers. Like, either you still have a capacity for humor in a time when you have enormous pressure on yourself. And Which on I'm your not mad at. Or um, <laughs> you are incapable of putting down petty jealousies. <laughs> at a time when you have enormous pressures on your shoulders. Which might be a problem. <laughs> um, but who among us, you know? Uh, let's, yeah, we definitely want to hear your take. We want to know what you think. If you have insider knowledge uh, or if you have ever been in this situation with a sibling, please fill us in. Let us know. I'm dying to hear how this goes down. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting Show Your Work. We're so happy to be able to talk to you about work and the work changes that have hap- have been happening lately. Continue to let us know your work stories. The emails have been amazing. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and leave comments and reviews. Let us know what you've been binge watching and whether there's something that you want us to talk about that has nothing to do with the current topic of the day. Keep sending us all your comments. We love hearing from you. We'll be back later this week with a brand new episode. Until then, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.